Welcome, everyone, to the Robin Walters Show. Yeah, started out this morning the usual way. Get up, read, read the Word a little bit, pray for a little bit. I do that. I love it. It's got to start right or it's not going to end right. But after starting out in the usual way, nothing seems to go the usual way <laughs> after that. Uh, life deals at us with uh, a lot of blows, surprises, shocks, uh, good shocks as well as bad shocks. That's just life. And as you grow older, you have to learn to roll with it. I'm still learning. Uh, today, um, before I forget, those uh, I've gotten some questions about the podcast. If you've got a smartphone, click on the podcast icon, type in Robin Walter Show or The Robin Walter Show. You should pull it up. If you're a Rumble fan, Go to rumble.com forward slash user forward slash Robin Walter show. Got that? Well, if not, here it is again. <laughs> rumble.com forward slash user forward slash Robin Walter show. Then just put it in your favorites and you won't have to type that out every week. Okay. Um, today, I am going to launch for the first time into a peak of the presidential election. It's hard to believe that next year is another election. I mean, we're all still anguishing, laboring under the abysmal, immoral leadership, if you want to call it, in this country. In fact, I've wondered. You know that passage in Scripture said, shall not curse your ruler. Um, and, you know, I'm probably guilty of that some of the time with one question that may change the whole answer. If the leadership was stolen, is that the true leader? So is the burglar who's in your house holding you at knife point or gunpoint, is he the, quote, man of the house? Is that the authority that you surrender to if he has no rightful place in your home? Do you owe him any respect or deference? If the president, so-called, has no rightful place in that office, is he then really the ruler of the country? Will you steal an election? Are you the, If you go steal a car, are you the owner of the car? If you steal somebody's identity, are you really that other person and everybody should be treating you as that person? Well, they do, but they don't have to, and they shouldn't. You see, anything you steal, you're not the rightful owner of it. If you're not the rightful president, then maybe you're not the ruler to whom we are commanded to not curse. Just a thought, and maybe I'm just trying to justify my behavior. It wouldn't be the first time. So let's take, a, let's take our first peek at the election next year, and I want to cover four candidates, and I'm going to call them all candidates because we've got one with Donald Trump and three that have said everything but that they're running, and I think they probably are. They're kind of feeling it out. 
But I want to go through these four individuals so for a couple of reasons. Number one, so that I can start the listening audience early in the area of prayer from a biblical perspective. And the biblical perspective here, the, the parameters within which we need to judge, and I mean judge meaning to ascertain and discern the appropriate candidate and who we would support, comes from Exodus 18.21. And Exodus 18.21 gives the three requirements for godly leadership. Now, we rarely ever have three. Sometimes there are three in a person, sometimes not. Sometimes you say, well, okay, best out of three, two out of three. If your choices are like in California where the top two candidates are Democrats for every election because of their their two-tiered system, you're choosing between two people, each of which are zero for three. I do not know any Democrat that has any one of the three qualities that are required. And sadly, there are hardly any Republicans that have all three, and many of them are sorely missing number three. So what are they? If you had a chance to get your Bible open, you should mark this. This is how you need to pray. God, give us, and talks about their men. I'm not going to limit it to men here in this particular situation, but those who are men of truth, men of courage. I'm sorry, I misspoke there. Men of courage, it kind of comes out the same. But men that fear God, men of truth, and hate covetousness. Fear God, men of truth, and hate covetousness. Now, if you do all three of those, you are a person of courage. I think that's where I, the courage kind of incorporates all three of those. But fear God. I don't know if a Democrat that fears God. We got fakey prayers by people standing around Joe Biden faking some degree of deference to a God that he does not know and does not serve. You say, well, gosh, you're judging the man. Well, you know him by their fruit, right? Jesus actually commanded us to identify trees by their fruit. He has no fruit but rotten. Absolutely rotten. Doesn't fear God. Is he a man of truth? Oh, my gosh. Uh, he must. If, if, Satan, it says, is a father of lies, and so Joe Biden's got to be one of his, probably is one of his, maybe his oldest son. All the guy can do is lie. He certainly covets things. If you, you wouldn't be in Washington, D.C. your entire life. You didn't covet it. This is a place where a lot of Republicans fail. They could be people of truth. They could fear God, and ultimately they end up doing things they shouldn't be doing because they want to keep their derriere in office. Their tush likes the comforts, the perks, the popularity, the privileges, the pension, the health plans that come with office. That's where many get tripped up. So those are your three requirements. They need to fear God, be a person of truth, and hate covetousness. So that's how your prayer goes. God, give us some the people that satisfy all three. That's where you might as well start your prayer at the top. Don't shoot for less or you'll get less. So with that in mind, let's roll. I'm going to start with the one who seems to have jumped in here at the last, um, Nikki Haley. 
Um, you know, I've liked her. Uh, I like the fact that, uh, you know, she has an immigrant background. I really do. I mean, these are the people who, like um, Melania Trump and other that have come to this country for all the right reasons, escaping the hell holes from whence they came and coming here as essentially refugees, if you will, they are more bound and determined to keep the ideals of this country than many of the native citizens. So um, that's not a case for um, uncontrolled illegal immigration at the border. Far from it. They, uh, but this is just a comment on her. And, I'm, and she just jumped in. I'm not sure where she stands on anything. So I'm going to hold off other than to say I am confident that she is not the, president, the appropriate presidential candidate. I do think she may she may be maybe a good VP. I just need to know more about her. So with that, I'm going to move on to Donald Trump, and I'm going to highlight strengths and weaknesses here as I see them. So on the strength side from Donald Trump, he certainly did a fabulous job with the economy, and I'm sure that he would be focused in that direction again, but. With one severe limitation, which I'm going to hold off on because I'm going to list it under one of his weaknesses. He's absolutely the best person dealing with border issues, foreign policies, uh, strong companies bringing them back to America, military strength. And you can see where his focus is. His focus is clearly on economic things and strength and, and American exceptionalism. It's what's behind him, make America great again. He comes at it from an economic perspective, um, doing things that demand, and he got it, foreign respect, respect from the rest of the world, something that B.O., Barack Obama, and Joey B., uh, couldn't care less because they want us to be more like Europe, which is just a sucking swamp water. So those are his strengths. And I'm going to come back to a possible strength that just popped up yesterday, but I'm going to now go to his weaknesses. I'm going to start with on the economic side. One of the weaknesses of President Trump is he never reined in the budget any more than Obama did before him or Biden did after him. He seems to not have an issue with national debt. He never addresses it. Uh, I think his thought is, and well, I know his thought is that if we can grow the economy enough, then the increased tax revenues will take care of the increased debt. That sounds good. It's not a biblical perspective. Because if you owe, let's, let's just suppose, take a, Use an example. You have total debt of two hundred and fifty thousand, and you make seventy five thousand dollars a year. And you think, well, the answer here is I just need to make more money to take care of my debt. Well, let's suppose you take on more debt to make more money, and yeah, you do pop up your income from seventy five to a hundred thousand. But in so doing, you've not reined in the debt, which is now no longer two fifty; it's three fifty. There has to be a connection. We can grow the economy, and we can do it without runaway debt. $31 trillion, 
And who buys these notes? China. China owns our notes. China owns land. China owns, goodness sakes, they own the military balloon, spy balloon that yesterday was floating across Montana. And Joey B decided, oh, let's not do anything because if we shoot it down, it might hurt somebody on the ground. Well, you know what? I think the chances of hitting something other than, um, I don't know, coyotes in eastern Montana is pretty remote. But anyway, no guts. He, he's in bed with the Chinese. We know that. The corruption, the scandal of that president is beyond my desire to even touch on it today. So in those areas, um, Trump is strong, but in the area of debt, he is a bit of a reckless spender. And, be, and the deal is you cannot, when you take on the debt, you take on the debt. The debt's in place. But you can't count, you cannot count on the economy growing more than the debt does. That is a result down the road. And while your debt is sitting out there paying 4 or 5% interest on the debt to foreign countries like China, the debt grows enormously even without any additional spending just from interest. So that's weakness number one. Number two, um, when it comes to the vax, this guy, he's still pushing the vaccines. And I have to say, this kind of relates to probably his most problematic trait, and that is one of pride. And if Donald Trump could simply, on one or two occasions, admit that he screwed up and that he was wrong, you have no idea how much support he would gain back. He doesn't seem willing to do that. And it's irksome. You know, there are a lot of people who would say, well, I'd never vote for Joe Biden, but uh, Trump just ticks me off. He angers me. He's, he's this, he's that. I'm just not going to vote, period. Well, that's why we lose elections. But he, the, the, the vaccine was a mistake. Operation Warp Speed meant let's skip all the testing. We got people dying suddenly all over the place. The CDC is now acknowledging it. I've got people who think, oh, the COVID vax thing, that's behind us. Well, then why is the CDC and Cami Harris out there telling everybody we need a vaccine booster every single year, even though we know that after X amount of boosters, those who have those boosters are the ones who are going to die. Those are the ones who are going to get sick quicker and longer than those who have had less boosters and those who have never been vaccinated. Just take, the, just take the Southwest Airlines statistic that finally came out. They have averaged forever about one to one and a half pilot deaths per year. Since the vaccine was made mandatory, I'm building on last week's program, which we talked about that, Southwest Airlines has been averaging six pilot deaths per year. A four, I'm sorry, it would be a 300% increase. We know it's true. And it's happening enough that it's going to be irrefutable at some point. At some point. Trump is still stuck on this thing. Why not move along? Get off it. Admit, admit you screwed up. Now, on the social issues, yes, he picked three conservative justices. We're all very, very thankful 
to him for that. Who along with other candidates, I'm sorry, with along with other conservative ideals, were pro-life. So I don't know that Donald Trump picked those three be, primarily because they were pro-life. He may or may not. I think it was because uh, they were primarily conservative overall, and pro-life was one of those conservative pillars. Now, Trump has said that he, he supports pro-life. He's one of the most pro-life presidents ever, and, and, and he has been, although he recently carved out the exception for rape and incest. And, of course, we all carve out an exception for the, for the actual life of the mother. That's not biblically required that you surrender your life for another. It's an ideal. It's great. Rachel did it when she had Benjamin, right? She died while Benjamin was being born. But it's not required. It's not a requirement. So he's pretty good in that area. I, I think he knows his base. He knows his base is there or somewhat farther to the right, which means more to the righteous side. Right and righteous kind of go together. But then this is where it gets confusing. When it comes to the queer stuff, he's awful. And he's had this love affair with courting the, the homosexual community, and I talked on it a couple of weeks ago, the big queer fest down at Mar-a-Lago. The guys dancing in sequin outfits to YMCA, and he uh, he holds up a, a banner, Trump personally holding up a banner that says the most pro-gay president ever. Makes me puke. And it was at that point I said, out, let's move along. I don't, but then he comes out yesterday, and I want to read this to you because I, I'm just going to read you his speech because this is where it gets confusing. In fact, it gets conflicting, but at the very least, it's inconsistent. So you, you probably didn't hear it, but I'm just going to go ahead and read it. It's a little long, but it's better read than, than said through my um, interpretation. Quote. The left-wing gender insanity being pushed on our children is an act of child abuse. Very simple. Here's my plan to stop the chemical, physical, and emotional mutilation of our youth. On day one of my presidency, I will revoke Joe Biden's cruel policies on so-called gender-affirming care. It's ridiculous. A process that includes giving kids puberty blockers, mutilating their physical appearance, and ultimately performing surgery on minor children. Can you believe this? I will sign a new executive order instructing every federal agency to cease all programs that promote the concept of sex and gender transition at any age. I will then ask Congress to permanently stop federal taxpayer dollars from being used to promote or pay for these procedures and to pass a law prohibiting child sex mutilation in all 30 states. I'll go very quickly. I'm just going to interject here. The first thing he's going to have to do is fire Becerra in a heartbeat. Okay, continuing. I will declare that any hospital health care provider that participates in the chemical or physical mutilation of minor youth will no longer meet federal health and safety standards for Medicaid and Medicare and will be terminated 
from the program immediately. Furthermore, I will support the creation of a private right of action for victims to sue doctors who have unforgivably performed these procedures on minor children. The Department of Justice will investigate Big Pharma and the big hospital networks to determine whether they have deliberately covered up horrific long-term side effects of sex transitions in order to get rich at the expense of vulnerable patients, and in this case, very vulnerable. We will also investigate whether Big Pharma or others have illegally marketed hormones and puberty blockers, which are in no way licensed or approved for this use. My Department of Education will inform states and school districts that if any teacher or school official suggests to a child that they could be trapped in the wrong body, they will be faced with severe consequences, including potential civil rights violations for sex discrimination and the elimination of federal funding. As part of our new credentialing body for teachers, we will promote positive education about the nuclear family, the roles of mothers and fathers, and celebrating rather than erasing the things that make men and women different and unique. I'm going to insert something here. He's almost quoting Mr. Rogers. I hope you've seen that video from 40 years ago where he sings a little song. Boys will be boys, and and they were made boys, and girls will be girls because they were made girls. It's great. Okay, continuing. I will ask Congress to pass a bill establishing that the only genders recognized by the United States government, which I'm going to insert here, means the military, are male and female, and they are assigned at birth. The bill will also make clear that Title IX prohibits men from participating in women's sports, and we will protect the rights of parents from being forced to allow their minor child to assume a gender which is new and an identity without the parent's consent. The identity will not be new, and it will not be without parental consent. No serious country should be telling its children that they were born with the wrong gender a concept that was never heard of in all of human history. Nobody's ever heard of this. So what's happening today? It was all when the radical left invented it just a few years ago. Under my leadership, this madness will end. End quote. And I'll throw on there what he was referring to is that it was invented was something I've said before, that there are only two genders, God made male and female. And all the other genders have been invented by Democrats. Now, this is the strongest, boldest, most full-throated, and you would expect nothing less than Donald Trump, indictment of everything flowing from this tranny mania that we have. Here is my problem. You cannot take this position and have the sequin boys dancing to YMCA at Mar-a-Lago and be the most gay president. It used to be that the homosexuals decried and distanced themselves from transvestites and the gender transitioning crowd. They have now become strong political allies. And so Trump is saying on one side... I'm the most gay president ever. Number two, I'm going to stop all this this madness that flows out of this 
extension of sexual immorality that's going on, which is headed towards what? The queers want children. They want pedophiles. They're pedophiles. The pedophilic rate among the homosexual population, adjusting for their percentage of the population is 750% higher than heterosexuals. They want to destroy the family, and they're doing a darn good job of it. I don't. So Trump's positions are fundamentally inconsistent. Now, what he just said is red meat to conservatives. I loved everything he said. I just don't know how he reconciles these two positions. And the last thing I want to say about the Donald is um, I don't know if he can overcome the Trump fatigue thing. If anybody could overcome fatigue, I mean, we're all fatigued of Biden because we're just tired of his lies, but even the Democrats don't like him. That's why they're setting up for a fall with a whole classified document thing, which, um, interestingly, this program, The Robin Walter Show, was the first one to break the supposition that it was a setup by the establishment left to get rid of Biden in a way that makes the media look like they're even-handed. It was a week after that program, Tucker Carlson came out with it. Am I bragging? No. Am I patting myself on the back? No. I'm just saying that those others confirmed what God revealed to me. There's no question in my mind that they want to dump Biden as much as we want to dump Biden. So the left, so Biden could not overcome Biden fatigue. Can Trump overcome Trump fatigue? He can if, if he admits where he's gone wrong. He's got to take, he's got to, boy, he's got to humble himself like Nebuchadnezzar. We did that program a while back. If you don't humble yourself, Nebuchadnezzar, you'll never get off all fours and you'll never be king again. And neither will Trump. I still stick with that. Now, on to Ron DeSantis. I love DeSantis. Now, could DeSantis have given this speech? Uh, yes, not with the force and, and full-throatedness of Trump. But he also has not announced that he's running for president. And so there's some things he doesn't address, although he does address things more directly and in a better way than Trump does. And so I want to give you his strengths and his weaknesses. The strengths is that there is no person currently running that I think is actually more pro-life and anti-homosexual orthodoxy than DeSantis. He's against the gender tranny garbage and all of those things. He's a states' rights person. And most of all, even though Trump made references to parental rights, there is no stronger person affirming and has acted in defense of strong parental rights when it comes to education. And this resonates with me so strongly because I have felt and I have said ad nauseum, there's no turning around this country as long as the government school education, or better known as indoctrination, continues in any way, shape, or form remotely close to what it is. The country is over. It's done unless there is a new generation being raised up, raised up to be godly, 
to be raised up, and it starts with education. I've said over and over and over again. I get sick of myself hearing it. That if you don't get the kids out of these stupid government schools, you're going to get what you pay for, which is pretty much nothing. And they will turn on you. They are... And there's and you know what? There's some good things happening in that area. The left has pushed it so far. I know I'm digressing here. But the number of people that have fled public schools because of the pandemic is huge. Public school, I'm sorry, government school enrollment has dropped from 81% of school-aged children to 76.5. That's a 2 million person drop. 3.3% of uh, students were homeschooled three years ago, and it's doubled to 6.6. No greater place, and I love saying this, as homeschooling had a greater impact than among black households, where 3% were homeschooled in the spring of 2020, and in one year it jumped from 3 to 18%. So this is... Probably DeSantis's defining issue, and it is, in fact, the most important issue. Now for his weaknesses. Uh, we're coming into a break. I'll get to his weaknesses. Um, they're no biggies to me, but you know what? I, I don't even want to start. Uh, don't go away. This is Robin Walter with Robin Walter Show. See you in a few minutes. The Robin Walter Show is a listener-supported program. Your contribution goes to help as many people as possible to hear that the Word of God has answers to help you survive and even thrive in the dark days ahead in this country. We pledge to bring you the critical information you need to make informed decisions in this age where big tech and big media have conspired to rid our country of everything Christian. Please send your support to... Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. That's Red Sky Radio, P.O. Box 99, Wickenburg, Arizona, 85358. Thank you. Mustang Sally. Don't forgive me, please, if I play that reintro, that bumper music, that return music, a little longer than I play other pieces. It's because I will tell you right now, people who've seen me on the dance floor know this for a fact. I've had people go tell a, da- a band, please play Mustang Sally because they want to see me dance. I'm sorry, but it is the best dance song in the entire world ever made, ever recorded. I was voted, actually, best dancer as a senior in high school. But truth be known, I learned all my really good moves in a family of nine uh, out in the hall waiting for my chance to use the bathroom. But I digress pretty seriously, don't I? Back to Ron DeSantis. Sorry, Ron. Forgive me of that interjection here. I didn't want to take away, I didn't mean to take away from your time. 
So what are DeSantis's weak points? He doesn't have glaring weak points. He's he's generally likable. I don't know that he endears a crowd. He's not Ronald Reagan-esque in that fashion. He's also not the flamboyance of a Donald Trump. Um, and you don't want you don't want a dead person, so to speak, like Mike Pence, um, who with a pack of matches couldn't start a fire, and who's also a compromiser. I don't like Pence for a bunch of reasons. So there's not that there's what's the word? I mean, it's not a charisma per se. But he's also holding back, other than on state issues. So where is his weaknesses? Well, you might say foreign policy and economic things. But those aren't issues for a governor. Those aren't issues for a governor. It's not his job until he decides to run for the presidency. Then we'll have to, to see, what, but he, but, but see what he does. But he's not beyond addressing those issues. One I particularly love. He's got so much great legislation he's proposing at the state level, which I have to assume, though he has not said it, I have to assume that he would put forth at the national level. One of them is a bill that would prohibit Chinese companies from buying land in the United States. Now, this is a huge plus over Trump because while Trump can deal with the Chinese, he doesn't suck up to them like Biden does because Biden's in bed. It's an incestuous relationship he has with China. But Trump has an amiable, cordial relationship in the sense that he says, I think we can beat them at their own game. But I don't think he would go to the extent of passing legislation or attempting to pass legislation that would prohibit Chinese companies from buying land in the United States, which they should. I think all foreigners should be prohibited from owning U.S. land. And you know what? That's actually biblical. I wish I had the time to go to why you do not let foreigners buy land in the United States. Now, this is going to bother a few people listening to this program who probably are Christians and own land, and they're not a U.S. citizen. Well, get the – I don't know. It's outside the scope of this program. Let me put put it that way. I think he's just as strong as Donald Trump is on border issues. Otherwise, why would he have sent that plane load of Venezuelans to Martha's Vineyard? That's a you know that's that's a Trump act, and he didn't get the idea from Donald. So the two share a lot of things. There are some distinct differences. But some of those differences are explainable by their respective positions that they hold in the American landscape. Now, I want to, since I read something about Trump, I, I feel like I need to read something about DeSantis here as well. And then I want to wrap it up with the fourth party. DeSantis takes on the education establishment and building his brand, to quote an article from uh, of Yahoo, of all places. And I'm going to quote them. I'm going to read from their article. 
because uh, this is a if, if Yahoo's saying this, I, I don't know if I should be concerned about DeSantis. If Yahoo t- deals even handedly, we know they hate Trump, but most people hate Trump for personality reasons. Like about ninety percent, ninety nine percent of people hate him because they don't like his personality, not his policies, his personality. But Yahoo describes him. DeSantis here is the vocal culture warrior, and that is correct. He is the vocal culture warrior in a way that Trump is not. He Trump takes certain things in the culture, but he's not a warrior. He does not see what's happening in the way DeSantis sees it, that it is war. He vows to take on liberal orthodoxy and its champions, whether they are Disney or Martha's Vineyard or in the state's public libraries. I love that, that he's taken on the libraries. But his crusade has perhaps played out most dramatically in classrooms and on university campuses. He has banned instruction about gender identity and sexual orientation in kindergarten through third grade. He's limited what schools and employers can teach about racism and other aspects of history and rejected math textbooks in mass for what the state called indoctrination. Now, i got to interject this. Keep in mind, when we're writing here, what the state calls indoctrination, meaning this is what a good state of California calls indoctrination, not a bad state like California, because California doesn't call it indoctrination. They call it education. Most recently, he banned the college board's advanced placement courses and African-American studies for high school students. And I will inject why. Because it's built around the 1619 Project and critical race theory, all of which suck are anti-American, most of all, just plain false. The other day, DeSantis took his most aggressive swing yet at education establishment, announcing a proposed overhaul of the state's higher education system that would eliminate what he calls ideological conformity. If enacted, courses in Western civilization would be mandated, diversity and equity programs would be eliminated, and the protections of tenure, oh, this is huge, would be reduced. In other words, what Ron is saying is, sort of the educational equivalent of term limits. Well, it's not term limits. It's reducing the protections of tenure. And these are things I don't think Trump would address with the same intensity. In fact, I just know he won't. And this is what was said about... Um, no, no, you know what? I gotta, I'm got. i going to finish just this, this quote just a little bit more. Uh he has banned abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. I like that. It doesn't go far enough. I don't think it goes as far as he'd like. I think he went as far as he could get with it. But his plan is to have Florida's colleges look like Hillsdale College in Hillsdale, Michigan, which is, by the way, the only university I routinely, regularly, annually support financially. They are fabulous. Because he said the other institutions are hostile to academic freedom because they impose 
ideological conformity. Oh, boy. You see, this, this is what is needed. And in fact, I love this little excerpt from his speech. He says, My compass are the principles reflected in the constitutional oath that I have taken for which Americans have given their lives, that our rights are endowed by God, not government, that we the people loan power to government under the Constitution in order to protect our rights. Government's role is not to ruin our lives. So that was part of his speech. Now, what does this all boil down to? Because you're probably sitting there thinking, man, alive. Uh, You know, there's something good in each of these. Um, Trump has some weak spots. Uh, DeSantis just has some absent spots. I think that's because, uh, you know, it's just not time yet to go public with these things. But if I had to boil the difference down to these two, this is a question I've already been asked, so I'm going to get it out there ahead of time before anybody writes, anybody else writes. It's this. Donald Trump comes from a position that essentially he believes that America's problems can be solved primarily, not exclusively, but primarily through a re-strengthening of the American economic system, American military prowess, American uh, uh, respect abroad. That's how this country is made great again. And that, oh, by the way, we're going to do some things domestically, but that the success outwardly will ultimately trigger success inwardly, meaning domestically. Whereas DeSantis is the opposite in the direction. DeSantis believes that the problems of this country are not fundamentally economic. Those are problems, foreign policy, all those are issues, but the, the solution lies in solving domestic social issues. They are at the core. <clears throat> family and education, godly education and family values. Now, I tend to think that Trump believes that. It's just not first on his list. And with the exception of the whole rolling out the red carpet to the homosexual lobby in Mar-a-Lago, <clears throat> he's pretty good on those things. I don't know how he reverses that. Maybe he just ignores it. I don't know how he does it. Donald Trump's success, uh, he identifies really with the international and economic, believing, like I said, that it'll move inward. And DeSantis believes that the, that the solutions deal with social and domestic issues, the success of which will then move outward. You see, I think they both have ultimately the same goal, to make America great again. They just have their priorities that are aligned in some respects, not aligned in other respects, but they're going about it from two very different positions. Trump, strength is an outward thing that will work its way inward. DeSantis' strength is an inward thing that's closer to godly values that will work its way outward. 
Now, where do I stand on this? Well, I will tell you. On this point, this point alone, both history and the Bible will make Ron DeSantis correct. Because if you look at Scripture, when Israel was weak internally, they were overrun externally. They were never strong for any length of time militarily or economically when they were rotting at the core. If you did nothing but read the book of Judges, it would tell you that. Every time Israel got fat, dumb, and happy and launched into gross sin, God would bring a foreign power in. He always brought, whether it was Rezin or these other, or there was the Assyrians, he brought them in to spank Israel big time. There was no protection for Israel other than that which was just sort of gracefully given to them so that they wouldn't totally be destroyed. When they sinned horrifically, but when they did right internally, they did righteousness domestically, their strength grew to the outside. They were restored militarily. God gave them victories from the early days of Saul to David to Jehoshaphat to King Asa to Hezekiah. And when God had nobody else to work with, he worked with Jehu to wax Jezebel, who was an internal problem. But she wasn't trying. She was just destroying the country by her own sins. But the point is, this is something that the two go about very, very differently. Very differently. Now, I'm coming short on time, but i got to throw out the outlier here. The last one to have brought, uh, thrown himself into the race, sort of, he keeps hinting at it, is Larry Elder in Chicago. I like Larry. He's an affable person. He has, um, uh, he's well-spoken, he's intelligent, he's a righteous man. He grew up in the hood, he's the sage of South Central. I like the fact that he's black, because he can get away with saying some things that some white heterosexual males can't pull off. And I've said ad nauseum that I really truly believe that the future of this country will ultimately rest in the extent to which Hispanic and black men and women of righteousness rise up and take back that which has been stolen. The Hispanic community increasingly going to the right, and so are blacks, but not at a pace fast enough to win elections, at least not yet. So what about Larry? Now, Larry didn't run a strong campaign in trying to unseat Gavin Newsom. Gavin Gruesome is a poster boy for the greasy uh, Democrat side. Um, People vote for him for a ton of wrong reasons. He's not unintelligent. He's just wicked. He'd make a perfect antichrist, slick, charismatic, and full of evil. I'm not saying he is. just saying he'd make a great one. In case... Uh, Satan, you're looking for an antichrist. Uh, There you go. 
but who knows? But but Elder was light on the social issues. Now, he didn't get into the tranny stuff. He didn't get into the gender identity, the abortion things. No, he was more on the tax issue. He was strong on family as a whole, strengthening for families. And he's very much in line with one uh, another black uh, heroine, if you will, uh, Candace Owens, who is very strong in the fact that the demise of black communities lies in the fact that uh, they're increasingly, over the last 40 years, increasingly fatherless as a result of Democrat social policies. So he was big on that, but he didn't go very deep into those other issues because I think his thought was, I have to be not a national Republican. I need to be a state Republican in California, and I have no chance of getting elected if I go hard on those issues. I sort of fault him for that, but who knows how much he would come out on a national stage knowing that those issues are red meat to the heartland of America, which is the last part of this country holding, seemingly, any sort of majority or near majority of godly values. Like I said, the fact that he's black is an absolute plus, um, which, of course, is going to confound the left. They're going to get all teed off, off and they're going to have to uh, repractice and regurgitate all of their, um, you know, Uncle Tom barbs. Now, one other thing that has that popped up, and I'm going to finish with some scripture that I think is kind of interesting. I know what some of you are thinking. I've thought it. Does it work? Does it fit? The um, and by the way, I, I one other thing about uh, Elder. I don't think Elder is the right person for president, but I think he would make a fabulous vice president. I don't have time to go into that unless I ignore some things I got to say, and I'm, I can't do that. But starting to pop up across the southeast in the Florida area are the Don Ron billboards. Don Ron. DonRon.com, I think it is. I'm not sure. I think it's what it is. Speaking of Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis, people already pushing for a ticket for those two to run together. Does it work? <clears throat> I Would it work? I don't know. It won't. Unless, unless Trump allows Ron DeSantis to carry the ball on certain issues, all the homosexual orthodoxy, he he needs to carry the ball on that one. And Trump would have to just lay off his whole fascination with uh, engaging the homosexual community. As being, he's got. He would have to dump that issue and say, "Ron, that's yours. You run with it. I'm going to run with the foreign policy. You run with the domestic issues." Could it work? Maybe so. It'd be an interesting ticket and an interesting campaign. But why it has to be done? Why we need this is it? It became so crit so obvious to me in reading in Exodus the other day. And you know where Moses went up on the mount? And he comes down and his face is shining because he's been in the presence of God for 40 days and 40 nights. Just before he leaves, all of Israel pledges 
pledges that they were going to do what Moses said. They're going to do what God said. They're going to follow the statutes and the ordinances. And Moses, with Joshua, gone for 40 days and 40 nights. That's all. 40 just over a month after making this pledge. Yes, we'll do what you say. Well, yes, we'll do what God says. We're going to follow you. Yes. And they bowed down. They said they worshiped. They bowed down and worshiped. And they do these things. Moses and Joshua are gone a mere 40 days before a weak and somewhat feckless Aaron, I might say, throws in the towel, builds a golden calf. And what are they doing when Moses and Joshua return? It said Israel ate drank, ate, and rose up to play. So they're partying. And it, and when Moses comes down, what does he see? They're all naked. They're naked. I, for You know what? For some reason, I did not see that until just this last time. I was reading Scripture. Um, I'm not sure. I, I'm going to say Exodus 34. I meant Exodus 32. It says, when Moses came down, he saw that the people were naked. So in addition to the partying, what kind of partying are they doing? My point here is that in 40 days, a mere 40 days without godly leadership, a complete vacuum. Aaron was not godly leadership. He was part of the problem. The complete vacuum of godly leadership. They went from promising God that they would follow his ordinances to running around apparently drunk and naked in only 40 days. This is where we are headed as a country because of the absolute vacuum of moral leadership. It has to be there or we're done. Maybe it is too late. There's even an alarming passage in uh, Exodus 33 where God says, you know, I'll take you to a land that's flowing with milk and honey. But the way you guys are acting, um, I'm not, I'm not going to go into the land with you. This is pretty amazing. This is God actually saying to Israel, it says they're stiff-necked, but they had just done committed, just got done committing these horrific sins of a, a drinking, apparently drunk. I don't know. That seems to be the implication. And running around <clears throat> naked and all that that would involve. God's sort of saying, you know what? I, I kind of don't really even want to be around you guys. So if this is the way you're going to be, I am not going to go with you into Canaan. I'm not going to be with you. And guess what? When God's not with you, you're toast. It's over. There's nothing more that you can do. If God's not with you, who can be with you? There's no help from man that's worth anything. You don't have a God who will, who if uh, is going to make his enemies your enemies if you made friends with God's enemies. So you have to pray. You have to live, lift up that passage from uh, Exodus 18.21 about who do we elect. They need to be people who fear God, love the truth, and hate covetousness. And with God's mercy, 
just maybe, just maybe, we will have a, sort of a Moses and sort of a Joshua back down in the camp to put things in order before we go off the rails. Rob Walder encouraging you to sit tall in the saddle, America. Remember, ride for the brand of Jesus Christ.